On May 13th, 2015, Savas Savopoulos, his wife Amy, their 10-year-old son Philip, and their housekeeper Vera Figueroa were held for 19 hours in their home in Washington, D.C. DNA found on pizza crust that was left inside the home led police to arrest one man, Darren Went. He's pled not guilty to all charges against him. He's currently in jail, and his trial is set for September 2018. Since we started this podcast, we've received lots of emails and lots of questions. We can't answer all of them at this time, but we wanted to give you some updates. So let's start with those. This week, November 6, 2017, we headed to D.C. District Court. We had heard that Darren Went had another court date. When we arrived, we found out that Darren Went has a new attorney, a public defender by the name of Judy Pipe. It's his fourth attorney since he was arrested in 2015. Since the podcast has started, we received emails and feedback. One of those emails was about Darrell Went. You probably remember Darrell. He's Darren's younger half-brother. And he was also with Darren the night that Darren was apprehended. We were told that Darrell had an attempted murder charge against him in Baltimore in 2010. And that turned out to be true. Darrell was charged with attempted murder, but cut a deal and pled guilty to assault in the first degree. Paul Wagner, he was one of the dogged investigative reporters here at Fox 5 that first worked the Savopolis murder story. He helps me break down the case information on Darrell. Here's what he has to say. Okay, so he was indicted in, in Montgomery County back January 11th of 2007. Okay. There's his attorney's name. He was found guilty of assault in the first degree, but he wasn't found guilty until 2012, okay? which Got is, it. I don't understand that. And he was sentenced to one year and six months, okay? Now, I don't know if he pled. It says plea here. Okay. Okay. Here's his probation officer. He had a bond, a $2,000 bond. Okay. So he was released on a bond. It looks like August 6th of 2012. After Darrell spends time in jail, he gets out only to violate his probation not once, but twice, and then continues in and out of court until he's sentenced again about two years later for an additional 18 months. He pled guilty to assault, was sentenced... And then he gets out, and, and they, this is they keep violating. Okay. They keep violating him, saying that he's in violation of his probation. Okay. So he's had two times that's happened. Okay. All right. Now in June of 2012, they have postponed the violation of probation hearing again until July 20th. Disposition. Court closes probation unsatisfactorily. Court sentences the defendant as to count one, 18 months to the Department of Correction commencing April 19, 2012. So they confirm he violated his probation and they've resentenced him back to jail. He serves that time and then again is released on bond. The other big update was of an attorney, Sean Hanover. You might remember Hanover, who was featured in episode three, The Welder, which was all about Darren Wendt. And Hanover represented Wendt for about three months in 2015. He was Wendt's second attorney after Robin Ficker. He spoke highly of Darren, and he was the one that advised us to look into the arrest warrant for others. Now, we were notified on a Facebook post that Sean Hanover was having his own legal issues. Hanover was indicted in September of this year on child pornography charges with the intent to distribute, possess, and promote. He's scheduled to be back in court in early November of this year. We called Sean to find out a comment on this indictment, and here's what he had to say. 
some people have emailed us about that. So I just wanted to see if you had any comment because, you know, we just had emails about you. So I don't know how you feel about that. Sure. So my comment on the record for that would be, it is very important that I defend all of my cases. And sometimes that puts me in the target reticle for government action. I am fully confident that my name will be fully cleared of any charges. And uh, I'm not right now restricted in any activities that I do. There's also an update on a possible murder weapon. Until now, there had not been a direct link to a possible murder weapon, but that changed this summer. Fox5DC.com has the news story that was brought to their attention by the prosecution. In a nine-page report filed in May, prosecutors say not only did investigators find DNA on a knife, but that Wentz DNA cannot be excluded from hairs found inside the house as well. This is a direct quote from the article on Fox5DC.com. In a court hearing last October, prosecutors revealed DNA evidence from five items linked to Went to the murders inside the Sabopolis home. But only two of them had been made public until this summer. Prosecutors had previously revealed Went's DNA had been found, of course, on that pizza crust, and then also on a reflective vest that was found inside the stolen Porsche. But in this new report over the summer, prosecutors list 14 items in which Went was, quote, a possible contributor including a knife from the basement of the Savopolis home. The report also says Wentz DNA cannot be excluded from hairs found on a piece of bedding and a hard hat. But that report ends up raising more questions than answers. What kind of knife was it? Was it a kitchen knife? Where was it found? Where was Wentz DNA found on the knife? Was someone else's DNA on the knife? None of those questions were answered in this report. The trial is set for September 2018. And we wanted to talk to two trial attorneys one a prosecutor and one a defense attorney to find out why even go to trial at all, especially if you believe our former law enforcement friends, Jim Trainum and Greg McCreary, that were featured in episode four. They believe there's overwhelming evidence that Went did it. What is the prosecution going to need to get a conviction? What about that DNA on the pizza crust? Went's first attorneys told us that the pizza was delivered outside the home. And what about the ongoing discussion that there were others? the jury selection, and predictions. Will Went get a fair trial since this case is so high profile? And for the defense, how are they going to defeat the prosecution's case? Roscoe Howard and Bernie Grimm are two top D.C. attorneys. These two men have no connection with the case and are only speaking from their own experience. Bernie Grimm is one of D.C.'s top defense attorneys. Google the murder of Robert Wan. It remains unsolved to this day, but Grimm represented Juan's roommates, Joe Price, Victor Zamborski, and their roommate, Dylan Ward. All three men were accused of Juan's murder, but all were found not guilty at trial. Grimm has red hair. He's soft-spoken with a dry sense of humor, but he's very blunt, and he doesn't mind offending anyone. He speaks his opinion. We asked Bernie why Darren is even going to trial with what appears to be overwhelming evidence against him. Why is he even going to trial? Everybody's going to say that because today with this barrage of TV shows with forensic files and L.A. law, everyone thinks that DNA is bulletproof and impenetrable. And it's actually not. You know, of course, they find the DNA on the pizza box. That's a great piece of evidence, and it sort of gives the wow effect to the jury. However, it would take hours and hours for me to talk to you about sort of alleles and DNA and sort of helixes and things like that. But there's a way around it. You'll find an expert that can say this DNA does not belong to him. But the basic reason is that 
everyone in the world, their DNA is not in some bank. So how do we know it's different to the exclusion of me or you? You and I have never been arrested before. At least I know you haven't. So why is Wynn doing it? I don't know. There could be fear of retaliation by these people, um, that if he rats them out, they're going to come get him. They're going to come get his family. There's clearly, they had some intelligence beforehand that there was some money in this house. So it wasn't a one-man operation. We also talked to former prosecutor, U.S. Attorney Roscoe Howard Jr. He was the chief prosecutor for the district in the late 90s and early 2000s. In that time period, he oversaw the prosecution of local and federal crimes in the nation's largest U.S. attorney's office, handling matters ranging from the anthrax investigation to the prosecution of local gangs. Howard now works in the private sector and has transitioned more into litigation. He's a partner in Barnes and Thornburg in Washington, D.C. He deals with mostly white-collar crime now. Howard is very nice-looking, very talkative, and has a gorgeous office on Pennsylvania Avenue, right near the White House. It's the quintessential D.C. law office that you would picture. The conference room where we interviewed Roscoe had some of the softest leather seats we had ever sat in. We wanted to know from Roscoe what the prosecution is going to have to do to get a home run and get a conviction in this case. As a prosecutor for many years, Mm -hmm. this is going to be a high-profile case in September 2018 when it goes to trial. Darren Wentz pled not guilty to all charges. What is the prosecution going to have to do to send him away? They want life in prison. What are they going to have to present? What are they going to have to do? Well, for all these uh, crimes, you need witnesses. (laughs) But when I say witnesses, it is somebody, and it could be something, that identifies them as being associated with the crime. And what they have to do in this case is uh, the crime clearly was carried out with the idea that they were going to try to um, kill all eyewitnesses, thus the deaths of the uh, the three members, and try to kill all forensic witnesses. Um, And that's the burning of the house. Got it. And the whole idea is that when you take these cases, you've got a pretty high burden beyond a reasonable doubt is a huge, huge burden. It's the largest burden in um, that we know in the justice system. All that being said, it doesn't mean beyond all doubt. Mm. It is that if you've got a concern about who we've identified as the defendant, and you can give yourself a reason, and, and more importantly, your 11 colleagues on the jury a reason, okay, then, then there's a, a not guilty verdict. But here, yes, as, as a government, we're missing things. But in terms of who was in the house? Who had a motive to do it? Mm-hmm. Who ended up with the proceeds of the crime? There is no doubt about who that person is. We asked Bernie Grimm the same question. What is the prosecution going to have to do to make this a home run case that Darren Wendt is convicted and goes to prison for life? I think if I were the prosecution in this case, I would exaggerate how gruesome and how painful the deaths were. It's actually not the death that is the pain or the experience of death. It's the anticipation of death. So when you're tied up and then the place is set on fire and you know you're going to be dying and you die of smoke inhalation like Senator or Congressman, Representative Ambassador Stevens in the Benghazi case, um, smoke inhalation takes a long time suggest you sort of feel like you have a cold, then emphysema, and over the course of three minutes, you just, you're gagging on your own sort of phlegm, and it's a disgusting way to go, and then the fire is getting closer, so it's, I I think they're going to exaggerate that aspect 
of it. I know they have two arson experts already um, right. to testify about that. And they'll sell it as, you know, this was a home invasion. And Roscoe Howard says that the prosecution probably has even more evidence than we know about. What you have is the prosecutor's going to have to come up with um, basically a theory. What happened here? And in that theory, most of us hear the theory in opening statements. And the prosecutor's going to get up. Uh, he or she is going to say, this is what you're going to learn once you hear all the facts. Wow. And then they go through a theory, and they're going to point right at Went. And, 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 and think about the things that we know, at least uh, I've read. Sure. Okay, and, right. Well, and I'm right. assuming that the prosecutors have even more. I'm assuming that. Because keep in mind, they don't necessarily, for a hearing to hold him on bond, they don't have to give everything. Mm. They just have to have enough to show the court that they have probable cause, a much lower standard, that Mr. Went probably... You know, did take the, uh, did, did do did, this did, crime. Did, did crime. What about the DNA on the pizza crust? That's been the biggest discussion point, or one of them anyway, of this entire case. Wentz's first attorneys, Robin Ficker and Sean Hanover, say that the pizza was delivered outside the home so that you can't rule out that maybe Went was working around the Savopolis home and ate the pizza outside. Roscoe Howard told us that the DNA is just overwhelming evidence. We've heard, since we've been researching this case, one of the arguments some attorneys have made is, well, that pizza was delivered outside the home. So it's ludicrous to say that this DNA on something that was delivered outside the home then implicates Darren Went. And the prosecution at this point, at least not to the public, they've never presented an actual murder weapon. Do you need those things? Does he still, I mean, how important is that? There are a couple of things that are inarguable. One, there is a murder weapon. We just don't have it. Okay. Two, that the themselves were killed in a violent fashion. Mm. We know that. We, mm-hmm. we know it's a murder. Somebody committed it. Yes, the pizza was delivered to the home, but these are the things we do know. The money was delivered to the home, mm-hmm. and we know that was done by somebody who worked for uh, the victim. Mm-hmm. We know that that money also had a delivery schedule that was unusual. You know, they're supposed to, I think, leave it in a car. Garage. Or something. Yep. So the two folks who came to the house we know aren't supposed to go into the home. That's what we know. And so what you're, what a prosecutor is going to ask the jury to do is draw reasonable assumptions, very reasonable assumptions. Someone's in the home mm-hmm. other than the victims mm-hmm. that don't want them there. That's the assumption. And no, the pizza was not delivered to the house. But the question really isn't where the pizza was delivered. Okay. And I can see a reason a defense attorney is going to make that argument is because you have to fight with what you have. And he does want to be identified. We know that because he killed all the victims, even the child. And so when I say you need witnesses to the trial, you got a pizza box. you got a piece of pizza with the DNA. That's your witness. And that's what you, you harp on the entire time. We know the pizza went to that house. We know it was kept outside the house uh, because... You know, they wanted that witness to leave so they could pick it up later. Somebody ate it, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. somebody ate it. You Mm -hmm. know, it wasn't a rat. Right. They ate it to anybody's uh, best guess as if they were eating a pizza. And um, and I don't know this, but we don't know that any of the victims saliva or DNA is are is on the pizza box or or on the piece of pizzas. But we know whose is. Mm. And so the question that you have to have to the jury even getting all that, even understanding where the pizza box was delivered, we know it was delivered to the home. Mm-hmm. We know they have a huge walk-up. And for them to argue, them being the defense, that somehow went just happened to be in the neighborhood 
and stole their pizza. You'd have to also come to the conclusion that he happened to be in the neighborhood and stole the money, too, because um, he ended up with right. a guy who's unemployed. Okay. So we wanted to know, what about the ongoing discussion that there were others involved? That's been another big question around this story. Police made that statement from the start, and they've never retracted it that there were others and went had help. Bernie Grimm believes from past robbery cases that he's been involved with that it's likely that four people were involved with this crime. And Grimm thinks that's going to be a problem for the prosecution. What they're lacking is motive. What they're lacking is the other participants in it. He clearly didn't do it by himself. Do you still and believe that? Yeah, it's, um, you know, these home invasions, the, the ones I've had, they're, they're pulled off by multiple guys. You think there were four? Four. You would need somebody that gets the intelligence on the family and on the father and how much cash is in the house and when the cash is going to be in the house. Okay. Then you need a security guy, an expert guy, when to get in, somebody that does surveillance on the house saying, listen, they have private security in this neighborhood. He comes around the block every two hours. Right now, is at this time, is going to be safe. Then you have to have a guy who's, you know, the bad guy, the sociopath, who's going to whack people, kill witnesses. Uh, you need that guy. And then the fourth guy is the one who had the idea. So... My guess is um, four, although I could be wrong. But it's not one. We know it's not one. It's got to be more than one. Why do you think, obviously you've practiced law in D.C. for many, many years. Why do you think police haven't pursued someone else? Pursued other suspects? Yeah. Why has there not been another arrest? Well, because the guy that they've arrested has not given it up. But Bernie goes on to tell us that pointing the finger at somebody else or introducing another person that could have done this is risky. Do you start pointing the finger at other people? Certainly in this case, there was an Good array point. of other people that... Good point. If you point the finger at other people, you just can't throw paper against the wall and hope it sticks. You have to point it at one person because the oh. government will then seize on that opportunity saying, if you listen to Mr. Grimm, any of these 10 people didn't do, could have done it, but he didn't present any evidence. If you narrow it down to one person, it gives me credibility with the jury. If wow. I say any one of 15 people could have done it, they're going to say, listen, he's just guessing. So you narrow it down to one person. Problem is, is when doesn't seem to have evidence that someone else did it, but if he didn't do it, he wouldn't have evidence of that. Roscoe Howard kind of agrees with Bernie. He says that the prosecution needs to acknowledge that there were likely other people. As this case has gone on, everybody's always said, well, there had to be other people. Yes. So how does that play in? How will that play into this trial? Now, no one else has ever been named a suspect. Right. No one else has ever been arrested. Right. But a lot of people find it hard to believe that one man could have done this alone. And my guess is the um, with the forensics, as I understand it, the prosecution will even admit that. And the reason they should admit it, because they've done it once in public. And two, that's what the defense is going to say. Okay. And the reason the defense is going to say it is because they want the jury to believe that somebody else is responsible for this and the prosecution just wasn't doing the work to find it uh, but what jurors have to have to remember are a couple of things one is at this trial doesn't matter it simply doesn't matter at this trial do you think it's all or nothing like because i think about this i think well let's say there were other people right mm -hmm. so maybe so I think you're right. There's a lot of evidence that, that says Darren Went was there that night. Right. But let's say he was the muscle mm -hmm. and didn't actually physically murder them. Mm -hmm. Then what happened? You still go away for... The the uh, the term is called uh, felony murder is, is the term. So okay. if you commit a homicide during the course of a felony, 
Okay. Your home is a felony, even if you are the brains behind it. Okay. If you are the person organizing it, and a murder is committed. Even if you physically aren't the one stabbing the people, you could be the getaway driver. I and, see. And you are charged with felony murder. I see. Right. So if you commit a felony, in the course of that felony, a murder is committed. You are as responsible as if you had done it yourself. Got it. And so it doesn't really matter. And what the government does is we prosecute the people that we have. So, for instance, let's say mm. you caught the entire group, and let's say there are five people, and let's say four of them uh, are being held, and they decided to uh, commit suicide because they can't go through it. You got one guy left. You think you're gonna let him go? No. The fact that they're not there uh, can't be a distraction, and, and, the, um, and the prosecution needs to remind the jury of that. Mm. Yes, we believe other people there, and no, we don't have them here. But keep in mind, where we are in our investigation is not a concern about Mr. Wendt because we know he did it. We mm. know he did it because his DNA tells us that. Roscoe goes on to address motive. So far, we haven't really heard a motive in this case. Some people believe the $40,000 may have been Darren Wentz's motive, but that hasn't really been hammered out. Now, what the defense is going to say is, but nobody can say that the bat or the knife was in uh, Mr. Wentz's hand. Nobody can say that. And, and the answer to that is, that may be in terms of, of a witness. But what we do have is we know that uh, he, he does have a motive. And keep in mind, motive is never an element of any crime, ever. No prosecutor's ever required to demonstrate to a jury why it was done. Oh, don't, don't okay. Have to do it. Don't have to do it. All you have to show is that it was done and done by this person. The why ends up being kind of a icing, if you will. Icing, yeah. okay. We also wanted to ask both attorneys about the jury and jury selection. Can Went get a fair trial in D.C. where this case has been so high profile? Bernie Grimm had some very direct thoughts on jury selection and how important it will be you might not like his statement. How difficult do you think jury selection will be? This case it was national news. Everybody here locally knows about it. Right. You're supposed to sort of have a, you know, be in front of a jury of your peers right. uh, that are giving you kind of a equal fair shot. You think right. that's possible in this case? Early on, there was a surge in the newspaper and on the news outlets and on TV about it, and then it died down. And then when the trial picks up, you'll get more of it. In this day of social media, the Benghazi trial starts today over in federal court. Mm. The judges instructed the jury not to read anything in the news, go on the internet. You and I both know as soon as jurors get home, they're going right on it. <laughs> they so, are? I thought you were going to say people take that very seriously. Oh. No, it's actually against the law for them to do that, but they do it. They do oh. it. I only know because I've talked to jurors after... Trials, I don't want to hear what I did right. I want to hear what I did wrong because that's the only way you improve. Right. Um, it's nice to get the ad adulation of Mr. Remy did this and that cross-examination was great, but you don't learn unless you hear, give me the five things that I did that sort of annoyed you. Was it anything I wore? Was it a question I asked? Was it how I treated a witness? How I treated my client? Um, you always want to learn. But as this trial gets closer, there'll be, there'll be more media attention to it. What the defense has to watch out for is what we call sleepers, which are jurors that say they can be fair, but just want to get on the jury to convict. Right, since it's a high-profile case. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And the demographics of D.C., when I was trying cases 20 years ago, which sort of shows my age, which 20 years ago, that would make me 97 right now. 
Um, back then, it was African-American panels, 60 people. Now it's almost half and half white, black. Um, which can be good in a scientific case because white jurors, and I'm not trying to be racist about it, but let's just call it the way it is. If people call into your show and complain, then they can call my number. Um, white people generally are not the victims of D.C. public school education, have gone to high school, have then gone to college, and they have the ability to discern numbers and allele and quantify DNA and, and what matters and what doesn't, and they'll be able to understand how these numbers can be shot down. I mean, thousands and thousands of men were convicted on hair and fiber by the FBI, uh, only to find out, I mean, I got a guy out a year and a half ago that spent 26 years in prison oh on God. a pubic hair that was not his. Roscoe Howard says that Wendt can get a fair trial in D.C. And he says that even though the case is high profile, he would expect that jurors know about it. Do you think it's going to be hard for them to select a non-biased jury here in the District of Columbia? Uh, not necessarily. Keep okay. in mind, it's... I've always thought, you know, they ask the question, have you heard about this case? Right. And Our podcast when, isn't helping. And when somebody yeah. raises their, <laughs> oh. yeah, right. <laughs> Go, don't, don't what? You, don't you read? Or, yeah. No. You know, I mean, maybe are, that's are, scarier. Well, well, and those people, ordinarily, I don't want them on my juries. Really? Don't want them at all. I don't care that, that they've read it. Because they're probably not that informed. They're, they're, Bingo. Yeah. And, and you don't know what else they're ill-informed about. Right. You know? Probably a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm right. And so you you want jurors that are smart, and you tr and that's what board years about. You're trying to figure that out the best you can. Mm. Uh, you're trying to you, you want them employed. I mean. When they're employed, they're invested in the community. Sure. Um, you know, dumb prosecutors try screwing up cases and they still get convictions. <laughs> because if you've got a good jury, you know, this isn't about, you know, who, you know, who has the best suit. Right. You know, you know who, who has the um, best hair, you know, who looks, you know, who looks good. And, <laughs> this isn't this a is pageant. All, yeah. This is all about facts. It wow. is all about facts. And it's making them understand facts. Lastly, we asked both men about playing the defense. What is Darren Wentz's attorneys going to need to do to defeat the prosecution's case and get a not guilty verdict for Wentz? Bernie goes back to the DNA. He says that DNA isn't a slam dunk. And if he were Wentz's attorney, he'd be getting his own experts. I'd have to get my own expert to undermine the DNA. That would be your strategy. Yeah, you'd have to get your own expert to undermine the DNA to say that it's it can be reliable, but it's not a slam dunk. That's the biggest problem that the um, public defender has, is the DNA evidence. But that seems to be the biggest thing that they have on him. I mean, what else do they have on him? That they don't have eyewitnesses seeing him go in. They don't have witnesses seeing him leave. There's no confession. There's no murder weapon. But the problem is the facts of the case are so offensive and will make you so nauseous that when you hear the opening statement from the prosecutor and he points and says, this man over here not only killed them, but he burned them and he burned a child up and he left his DNA on a pizza box and he kept them hostage for close to an entire day, close to 24 hours. It was ugly. The jury's going to want to find somebody responsible. Roscoe Howard believes that the defense is going to have a hard time in this case. And he feels differently than Bernie about the DNA. So it sounds like you feel the defense attorney is going to have a really hard time in this case. 
keep in mind what the defense attorney's job is. Okay. It is not to put on a defense. It is to challenge the prosecutor's case. The Constitution allows a defendant to sit there absolutely silent, mm. never do a thing. And you will get clients that simply don't want to plead guilty, that don't believe they should plead guilty. Okay. They may want you to put on a defense, but if you can't, if you're uncomfortable with it or don't feel it's something that you can do ethically, you're not supposed to. Mm. Uh, there, there are all sorts of tactics for a defense attorney. For instance, let the prosecutor put, uh, prosecutor put on you know, his or her own case. Let them put it all on. And then what you'd say to the jury is, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to get up and, and, and put on defense because they haven't proved anything. Uh. We're going to sit down. And, and then you put it back to the jury. The key wow. to this will be a smart jury. So right now, if the trial was happening today, would the prosecution have enough for a guilty verdict? Here's what Bernie Grimm says. Do you think right now the prosecution has enough evidence and a strong enough case to convict Aaron White? I analogize it to Casey Anthony, which is there's no doubt in my mind she killed her child, mm. but what evidence is there that she did it? Her conduct was irredeemable and offensive. She was going out partying and things like that, and her child was missing. But the jurors said, listen, we followed the instructions of the judge, which says proof beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the way I an analyze it to that. He didn't make a statement. He didn't make a confession. He didn't finger other people. Um, there's no murder weapon found. They find the DNA on the pizza box, and that's pretty much it. It's going to be a tough road home. The prosecution has the last word in a murder trial, so we decided to end with the former prosecutor, Roscoe Howard. Roscoe says all the prosecution needs is beyond reasonable doubt, not beyond all doubt. So at this stage of the game, and again, we probably don't have all the facts that the prosecution has, but do you think right now, if this went to trial tomorrow, that they would have enough evidence to put Darren Went away for life? Well, keep in mind, when you, you yeah, very dramatic. I understand yeah. putting away for life, but there are not going to be a whole lot of other options. Yeah, okay, all right, okay. yeah. I mean, if he is con uh, convicted of uh, you don't go for like six years. I don't think you go for anything. I mean, the guy, the I mean, the District of Columbia also has guidelines, and I have not worked those, but I'd be surprised if the guidelines with a triple homicide is going to be anything short of life. Right. But all that being said, do they have enough for a conviction? I say yes, wow. mainly because DNA, unless somebody wants to say that it's um, that, that it has some flaws, uh, my experience is it's invaluable. It's pretty, and it's probably pretty damning for a jury. The only way for me to get your DNA, hold you down, take a swab, stick it in your mouth, right. cough your hair, I mean, something like that. Right. You know, it doesn't get transferred by, by accident. Keep in mind, this is beyond a reasonable doubt. And so with somebody saying, I don't think he's uh, guilty, what a jury has to say, a juror has to say is, to themselves is, okay, if I don't think he's guilty, why? You know, why would I not think he's guilty with his DNA? Also found the DNA on a vest mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the car. So now you've got his DNA uh, caught in two places that belong to uh, or, uh, you know, one place and, and one uh, vehicle that belonged to the victim. Right. At, at a certain point, uh, you get beyond coincidence, and that's where you get your conviction. Thank you for listening to the six-part Mansion Murders, a Fox 5 true crime podcast. We're continuing to get information about this case. If you know anyone associated with this case or you have any information you think would be helpful, you can email me, sarah.frazier at foxtv.com. 
That's Sarah, S-A-R-A-H dot Frasier, F-R-A-S-E-R at foxtv.com. Thank you to Ronnie McRae, shooter and editor, Judith Ayers, researcher, Dan Raven for an extra set of ears. And a big thanks to our guests, attorneys Bernie Grimm and Roscoe Howard. If you want more mansion murders, you can see what went into this episode and our past six episodes by visiting our YouTube page for a video recap. Fox5DC.com is our website, or you can just search Fox5DC on YouTube. I'm Sarah Frazier. Thank you for listening to our podcast.